WATD presents Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. If it's Monday night, it's got to be Monday Night Talk with Kevin Tachi. So thanks for having me on. Kevin, good for you to hold back and let him tell his story. Putting the South Shore spin on politics, current events, and pop culture. You guys are the center of the universe today. At least the political universe. I believe both of you are, are from the area. Marshfield guys, yes, no? Correct, yeah. That's right. There's only one person not from Marshfield in this room right now. And it's you. It's me. I'm the outcast. Well, you've always been generous with the time. I appreciate it very much. Oh, I'm honored to be on your show tonight, Kevin, with that impressive lineup you have. I believe our guest that we've been waiting for, Congressman Stephen Lynch. Kevin, good to join you. The governor of the Commonwealth, very Charlie good. Becky. You ready? i got to tell you that uh, it's really nice to hear Aerosmith on the intro there. You're going to be the rock and roll governor? I don't know about that, but... <laughs> we have Mayor Joe Sullivan joining us, sir. How are you? Well, Kevin, very good to be with you again. Dr. Drew Pinsky. Dr. Drew, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me. Mr. Ming-Sai, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Massachusetts State Auditor Suzanne Bump. Hello, Auditor. How are you? I am fine, and I'm delighted to be with you this evening. And now, your host, Kevin Tachi. Monday Night Talk. You're at 95.9 WATD. Hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving holiday, a long weekend, Black Friday shopping, Cyber Monday shopping, whatever it was. We have some great conversation coming up uh, this evening. Uh, we'll kick things up uh, right in uh, about 30 seconds, 60 seconds, warming up at the bullpen for the, for the State House report. None other than State Representative Josh Cutler representing the 6th Plymouth District. He'll join us for the first segment. Following that up, we're going to speak with Aaron Joyce. Aaron is uh, the Braintree <coughs> mayor-elect. We get a chance to uh, find out about the newest mayor uh, in Braintree and uh, some of uh, her vision for the community. Hour number two, uh, we will speak with Donnie Westhaver. Talk with him about the Whitman Area Toy Drive. This is some uh, 23 years that uh, this uh, this event, this takes place where it's a, a way to give back to folks, whether it's gift cards, toys for all ages, you name it, uh, the Whitman Area Toy Drive. Uh, right about now is when they start uh, ramping up and spreading things out on the table and helping families in need. So we'll talk with Donnie about that. And then we close things out with Mark Rochito, uh as uh, he is a gentleman who the producer of the upcoming White Christmas, the musical. This is being put on by Massasoit Theatre Company. We'll chat with him about that production and more. But right now, as I mentioned, uh, State Rep Josh hey, Cutler, Kevin. back in studio. I, you know, I was worried I'd fallen out of the rotation, Kevin. I'm glad. I'm <laughs> glad I'm back. <laughs> well, we had to put we had to put Kathy and Matt on on double duty. I know they're very good, so but, I, under, I understand. Very, I understand. very good. They're part of, they're part of the South Shore legislative posse. Yep. Uh, There's a lot of talent out there, so you know I got to wait my turn. I understand. And, and of course, Kathy actually has she has done enough rotations. Almost like when you go to like D'Angelo's, you you get your card, you punched, <laughs> you bought six subs, you get the seventh free. Well, with her. She gets to, she's um, okay. co-host okay. here on Monday right. Night Talk, so we'll give you I a guess I don't have enough time in yet we'll, to, to <laughs> earn that status. I'll, no, I'll, no. Keep, I'll keep working at no, it, No, 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 you have, no, no, no. <laughs> Everybody is, you sat in a big co-host uh, on the show. I know, um, I just like to tease a little bit. But that's good. You got to kind of keep me honest. You yes. Keep me on my toes here. Yes. Um, how, how was your Thanksgiving holiday? I actually, it was, uh, it was a working one for a part of it. You get some football, I 
Assume. Yeah, Coach uh, Abington High School coach Jim Kelleher. Uh, it's final game. After 50 seasons, 50 years, uh, took on uh, Whitman Hanson. Uh, it was at That's Whitman Hanson, in Hanson. Yeah. And uh, he came in with a victory. And uh, as folks know, uh, the other hat I wear is I do uh, uh, TV production for Abington Community Access and Media. And we were there to, to cover the event. That's an amazing and legacy. It is, and fantastic, and it was great seeing all the different folks and all the features that they had leading up to the big game, and to see him kind of come away with that, that you know, the trophy that the, the teams kind of go back and forth. Yeah. You're talking 112, you know, uh, editions of this game, and uh, he walked away with the, the trophy walking up the door. That's so it was, awesome. It was yeah. fantastic. That's so, great. Well, you know, shout, when, shout out to, to ATD, I, and I got to listen to uh, a number of football games uh, on Christmas. On Christmas, See, I'm already on the next holiday on Thanksgiving. Aren't we all? Uh, thanks to WATD and including the Marshall Duxbury game. Want to send a shout out to both of those teams, uh, as well as I think Hanover and Situate. And we got a, a lot of South Shore teams that are going to be playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, this coming weekend, so that's pretty exciting. So it's great to see. Uh, I'll be rooting for you know for teams in my district, of course. But it's great to see a lot of South Shore teams uh, competing and earning berths in the MIAA Super Bowl. So congratulations. Well, I'll have to say is just, uh, I'll be tuned in. Um, Quinn Kelly and uh, the uh, the WATD uh, sports team does a phenomenal great job. job. Great job. Phenomenal. Whether it's whether he's with Brendan Conley or Bill Bose or just. Quinn Kelly, um, they do a fantastic job in covering uh, South Shore sports and beyond. And so I'll be tuned in for all those all those great games uh, coming up later on. Sounds excellent. This, uh, now this I, week. I know we have some business, some important legislative we, business we to get do. to. But I'm curious, how's the, the Christmas shopping going so far? The holiday shopping? I just started looking at who I have to get for whom. Okay. And you, uh, do, I I, do I hear you have some new additions? So I actually look at least flipping the flipping the microphone yeah, around here. Yeah, see, see. So, so, if you don't yeah. have me on for a while, I get you know. Yeah, this is how some I get new additions to the uh, the Tachi Rollick family. That's, um, that's excellent. The, the youngest us. is Charlotte, who's four months old, and uh, Addison, who is seventeen months old and uh, growing quick. So it's Papa Tachi or Pa Pa Tachi. Pa Tachi. Okay. Well, that's hey, awesome. But news. Listen, you've got you got a couple that are also. Remember when Charlie was Charlie was first born and Lila? And uh, I know, I know. My son. Well, good luck to my son Charlie. He's doing his basketball tryout tonight. Uh, so uh, hopefully that'll go well. And uh, my daughter Delilah is doing fantastic. So yeah, they 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 grow fast. Charlie's got some height though. He's what is he? What he's about? Six yeah, two, he's six taller three. than me. I don't I don't know if he's. Where do you get that I from? I don't know. It didn't come from me. So I guess thanks to his mom. Um, but yeah, no, they're great kids. So I'm really. And, and while, by the way, while I'm doing personal stuff, I want to give a shout out to, to my mom who uh, just uh, moved, had some health issues going on over the holidays, but uh, just moved over to Bay Path Nursing Home in Duxbury, which is a fantastic facility. I was so impressed and just was just actually came from there before the show and uh, they're taking great care of her and really uh, so grateful and appreciative and uh, glad we have these kind of facilities uh, here on the South Shore. Let's, uh, let's take a moment to talk about some of your work up at the State House, uh, probably start things off talking a little bit about the Francis Perkins Workplace Equity Act. Uh, I, I you, know had, you had a great guest on last week. Was it last week? We had Megan Driscoll yes. on. Yes. yes. Uh, and I remember, you know, the early conversations <laughs> and doing, you know, video productions up in your office at That's the right. State House when this thing was first starting to ramp up. 
look where we're at. Yeah, no, sometimes it can take a little bit of time to get a good idea kind of across the finish line uh, legislatively, but this is one where we're kind of at the, to use a football analogy, because we're talking football, you know, we're at the, the, the five-yard line or, oh, okay. the, or the one-yard line, I okay. would say. Uh, we, we're, we're definitely closing in on that uh, end zone, and, uh, and, and it's thanks to folks like Megan and many others who've been doing a lot of great work on that, that uh, we've been able to make up so much yardage. I'll, I'll stop with the football analogies. <laughs> so it's my understanding is it's at the, the House Conference Committee at this particular Yeah, just, uh, just give background, Kevin, for, for some of your listeners who may not be as familiar with it. But this is a piece of legislation that we've been working on for a couple terms now. And it was something that was spearheaded um, uh, that I filed originally with Megan's uh, uh, really inspiration um, two terms ago. And basically, you know, it does a couple different things. One is it just very simply would require that uh, businesses include a salary range when they advertise a job f- for hire. Uh, it's a basic, you know, uh, common sense kind of step Transparency. That, uh, that many states already do. And it has a twofold benefit. Number one, it, you know, it, studies show that all the data tells us that, you know, if the, the, the real way to s- close our racial and gender wage gaps is through enhanced wage transparency. When people know, you know, I use the example of the women's national, U.S. women's national soccer team, partly because our own uh, Samantha Mewis and Christy Mewis from, from the South Shore are, right. are, are, are members or have been members. And, you know, people remember that big debate about, you know, the men and women and whether they, sh- you know, what they're, payment, you know, the, the golf and what they were making playing, you know, the same sport. And so we were able to have an adult conversation and have a discussion about that because we knew what that difference was. And unfortunately, we don't always know that in many other types of professions. And so having, you know, putting everybody on a level playing field and having some transparency with those salary ranges really can really go a long ways to helping to close those those wage gaps. Um, but there's also a benefit for, for employers, for businesses too. And that's, you know, I've been on the other side of this where, you, you know, you're advertising for for a position and you, you know, go through the screening process, you see a resume you like, you bring somebody in for an interview and, you know, maybe it's not until the second interview where you're actually talking about salary and you realize, oops, you know, you're really not on the same page at all about what the expect- expectations are for that position and you can't, you know, afford to perhaps to pay at the rate that you know, the person, you know, believes they should be. And so, you know, you've, you've used all that time that could have been better spent elsewhere. And so I think if you sort of put that out, uh, out there from the outset and everyone knows this is the salary range for this particular position, you know, it's not the exact salary, it's a range. Um, you know, it, it really helps everybody, rises, um, brings everybody up. So that's the sort of fundamental premise of the bill. Um, it's got some other pieces too. Part of it has to do with enhanced data, um, you know, uh, reporting. The old adage is if you can't, you can't fix what you can't measure. And so, you know, trying to make sure we have robust data uh, as part of this. So uh, we sort of put these two great ideas together. We've been working on it kind of, you know, tinkering with it a little bit at the last term. And uh, both the, the, the House uh, uh, initially passed the bill earlier this fall, mm-hmm. and the Senate followed suit uh, quickly thereafter. And then what, not to get into the, the, the way the, the, the minutia the, the minutia of the legislative process, but I guess that's what you call me in here for, right? Um, it, you know, a conference committee is appointed to uh, iron out the differences and come up with one sort of final bill that can uh, get a, you know, a, an up or down vote in both branches. And so uh, I was p- proud to be the Speaker Mariano appointed me to, to be the lead uh, negotiator on the House side. And so uh, I've been working with my Senate counterparts and, uh, uh, you know, we're, I, I, you know, I can't reveal all the details quite yet, but we're Correct. getting close. And I'm very optimistic that we'll be able to reach a deal and have a really good bill that uh, that everybody's going to be, you know, get behind. But does it seem like it's? It, and again, you can't reveal, you can't show your cards. But does it seem like it's kind of moving along at a good pace that we could possibly see this before the end of the year? Maybe something that's you know voted on. 
Yeah, so I think, you know, the good news is that both the Senate bill and the House bill were, were pretty close in terms of, you know, what was in each one. Sometimes when you have uh, two pieces of legislation or one piece of legislation that, you know, that both branches approve, it can be pretty dis, you know, dissimilar. Uh, they might have some components that the other, you know, one branch to put in, the other didn't. Um, so in this case, the good news is that they're very close. There's only a few issues that really separate us. So, you know, I can't put a timetable on it, but I'm optimistic that we'll certainly be able to get it done in a timely way and, um, you know, get this on the books and, um, you know, certainly before the, certainly before the term ends, uh, no doubt about that. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about something that has been discussed uh, a lot lately, and that is, is this uh, um, an attempt to at least uh, do a, a beta test on a four-day work week uh, piece of legislation. Is that is like a pilot, right? Exactly. Yes. Thank you. Uh, that's uh, exactly it, Kevin. So we've been we've been having a little bit of fun with uh, another issue, uh, a, a pilot, exactly as you described, a pilot program to look at a four-day work week. And I think you have to kind of take a step back and think, you know, it's really been, I believe it was 1939 when we, when we passed the Fair Labor uh, Standards Act that basically is what it gave us our 40-hour work week and, you know, our overtime laws that we think of today. So if you think about it, it's been 80-plus years and we haven't had any change. No modification. In that. And, you know, if you go back and look at history, you know, you can go back, you know, people used to have, you know, it was a 60-hour work week and then it was a 50-hour work week and now it's a 40-hour work week. And so it's been, you know, 80 plus years where we really haven't changed. And think about all the progress and productivity gains we've seen over those 80 plus years, you know, just you know, computers um, and, and all the productivity. And yet we haven't, you know, there was always supposed to be this trade-off that, oh, we'll have more, you know, time because we have all these, you know, contraptions that can help to save us time. <laughs> and it seems like we just filled up the time with other things, um, which is good. But uh, so, you know, trying to take a step back and look at, how, you know, how can we do this a little bit better? And I know it's sort of a radical idea, and that's why we're doing a pilot program. We're not, you know, talking about changing tomorrow, you know, to making a four-day work week, of course. But what we're talking about is a pilot program, a voluntary pilot program that individ uh, individual businesses could sign up for to participate in. And uh, they would, in turn, collect a lot of data from uh, employees and employers about, you know, how it worked and how they were able to implement it. And so, you know, we're hopeful that, you know, we could see that data and have, you know, it's, it basically would occur over a span of like, you know, two years. So we have a significant amount of data and really make some decisions about, you know, how is this feasible? You know, is it workable? How, if so, how? You know, what industries might benefit? We've seen in other jurisdictions like in the UK and in Europe, they've uh, done, they're, you know, they're kind of successful. Of, they've done, yeah, they're ahead of us on this and they've done some pilot programs that have been really successful. And, you know, I think the, the initial reaction is, well, yeah, if you're a worker or an employee, it sounds great, but, you know, what about the, for the business? And, you know, I would counter and say that, you know, you see some productivity gains uh, when you, you know, when pe workers are happier and, and, you know, have a better work-life balance. Mm. You know, when you think about, you know, just the amount of time you're, you know, you're not productive sometimes just, you know, because maybe, maybe just mentally you need, a, you, know, you need a little bit of an off day every once in a while. It's like, I can say the same, you know, I'm sure we all have those kind of days. So I think the idea is to have a meaningful reduction in the number of work hours without reducing pay and benefits and status. And, um, you know, so we're going to try to do a pilot prog program to see how this might work and see whether it's feasible and if so, how we could implement it. So I think it's, it's, it's worth looking at for sure. Is this something that's going to be incentivized for those that are participating in the pilot program? Yeah, so the way we crafted the bill, and again, it's just a bill at this point. It's, it's a piece of legislation mm -hmm. that's before the Labor and Workforce Development Committee. And we had a hearing uh, not too long ago. Um, so it's a voluntary program that businesses would sign up for. And if they did uh, and they were selected, they would you know, participate for up to two years. And they'd uh, share a lot of data that we would uh, request 
about the process and about how their you know employees and data and worker surveys and such. And in return, they could qualify for a, a tax credit uh, through the state to help incentivize people to want to participate. Um, and so, you know, we think it would be a good way to go, sort of, you know, a good um, step in the direction to kind of see you know, um, whether this is feasible. Again, you know, it's, 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 I think when people first hear it, it sounds like a radical idea, but it's not, that, it's not so radical when you step back and kind of look at history through the lens of, you know, the, the, you know, the nature of work. And I think this is a particularly appropriate time to do it because, you know, because of the pandemic, we've seen, you know, this sort of pivot towards a lot more hybrid uh, work uh, place environments. And so it seems like a perfect time to sort of you know, reimagine and relook at the nature of work and how, you know, the workplace, uh, where the workplace is and how the workplace is, and in this case, how long the workplace is. Well, let's talk about something else that's a little bit more, uh, that's work-related as well, and that is something that we all participate in now as of a couple of years ago. That's the Paid Family and Medical Leave Act. Yeah. Can we talk about, this? Is an update to this, yes? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Kim, because I wanted to uh, to kind of share with your, your listeners, because I think this is a, a good positive development. So, you know, a few years, a few years back, we, we passed here in Massachusetts a paid family and medical leave. People may not, I find that people aren't always familiar with that here in Massachusetts, that you know, we now have that in Massachusetts, and employers, you know, are paying that, and in, 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 in for larger employers... Uh, excuse me, for larger employers, the businesses are paying and, 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 and workers are paying as well. So you're, we're paying into this fund. And so, you know, if you do have a, you know, a family or medical leave issue uh, and there's you know, a number of different qualifying reasons, you are eligible to tap into that. And I would encourage people to, to really look into that if they have um, a need. You can look up uh, PFML in Massachusetts and if you just Google it, you'll, you'll probably come up with it. Um, but so we recently made a, a bit of an adjustment. Again, it's a little technical in nature, but it's basically, it's, it's referred to as topping off. And it's it's designed to make PFML paid family medical leave a little more attractive, um, so that employees employees excuse me if they have a, a qualifying reason for needing to take leave, let's say their you know let's say their mom's in the, you know ill and in the hospital and they need to spend some time with her, um, that they can take their benefits that they might have accrued at work you know that such as you know personal days. Uh, vacation days and such, and add them to their PFML to, quote, top off, so they're not going to see any reduction in their net pay. So that's sort of the idea. So it's a, it's a way to, to top off what the benefit is, because it's not, the PFML benefit is not always 100%, it's not 100% of the salary, but if you use those benefits that you've- In conjunction uh, with it, yep. That you've earned to top off the benefits, it, it can be. And so that was a change that was made to make PFML, you know, a little more attractive and work better for uh, workers and, and for businesses, frankly, too. So, uh, again, it, it didn't get a lot of attention, but, you know, I thought it was important to mention that, that we now uh, allow that here in Massachusetts. It's called topping off. And just in general, I would just encourage people to learn more about PFML, paid family medical leave, because I think it's a great benefit that isn't perhaps as, you know, widely known about as, you know, unemployment insurance or healthcare, you know, different other benefits, uh, workers' comp that we, that we have and I certainly know about. If you're just tuning in, we are doing the, the State House Report. It's a stable of Monday Night Talk, as we are fortunate to have a great relationship with a lot of the state uh, state reps, state senators, and constitutional officers up at the State House and kind of chat about the latest things that are happening, whether it's uh, up at the State House, Beacon Hill, or down within their particular districts. Um, I want to shift my focus real quick. Yes, sir. We've had you in here talking about uh, your book previously. Ah, yes. Uh, uh, and my understanding is is that the... Uh, I think my first... The, the Boston the Boston Gentleman's Mob... Yes, yes, sir. ...is now part of uh, uh, the State Library Author Talk series. 
Yes, it was. In fact, I was just going to give you guys credit again, you know, before you uh, mentioned that, um, that I think my very first interview uh, for the new book was here on WATD. So, um, so thank you. Um, but so, yes, I, I got to, and funny, quick, funny story. I had written a book back in, in, in 2019 about uh, Alexander Hansen, who is the namesake for the town of Hansen, mm. which I am I'm privileged to represent. And there's a quite an interesting story about how that happened and, and why this gentleman, who, who was a, a Federalist newspaper editor from the 19th century and from, from Maryland, why uh, the town of Hansen got named after him. And so I did the book, had a lot of fun, uh, was going to do a Statehouse state author talk uh, about the book, scheduled in March of 2020. And uh, for those of you who remember the dates, you can re- remember what happened right yeah. around then. Yeah. And so it, it happened to be one of the very first things that was canceled <laughs> because of COVID. Uh, so I never got to do the author talk. Um, but, you know, flash forward uh, to now. And I had some opportunity during the pandemic to write a second book, which was about uh, Boston abolitionist riot in 1835, which is another interesting story uh, that involved some some local folks, including Mariah Chapman from from Weymouth. Uh, and so, uh, once the second book came out, I got to to uh, invited back to do an author talk, and so I finally got to have my author talk. You know, three years <laughs> three years later, and that was uh, just last week at the State House Library, which. If you haven't been in it, it's beautiful, beautiful yes. library. It's a gorgeous building uh, and uh, such a great facility. So it was a lot of fun. And I, and I have a little side note, if I can. Please. And that I had a couple of our South Shore colleagues, Representative Lenatra and Representative Miratori, mm. who helped me with the author talk. So kudos to them. And we had a little a quick little performance where they got up and reenacted a key scene in the book. I don't really? want to give it away, uh. but they both did a really good job. And I didn't give them a lot of notice that I was going to ask them to do it. So... Kind of off the cuff. Yes, I think. I, I think. In fact, in fact, I think Matt found out that morning that I was going to ask him to do it. So <laughs> they were both really good sports. So I appreciate that. <laughs> so you've done a series of author talks in local libraries around the South Shore. Yes. Sure. Yes. How is this different? And were you were a little, a little nervous because th- you know it's a a very nice uh, library and also it's it's I think it's live streamed, right? It is live stream. Yeah, it no, was live stream. It was live stream. Yeah, no, it, it is. Uh, you know, they have some big time authors there, Kevin. And you know, I'm not a big time author, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, no, it was pretty cool. Uh, I mean, not, not you know, I've loved all of my author talks. I've done a lot at you know local senior centers and libraries, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, but they do have some pretty cool uh, uh, events at the State House Library, and so I'm privileged to have been a little bit of a part of that. And it was kind of cool because a lot of my colleagues from the State House came, and you know, they don't really know me as a author writer. They know me as you know. As the the legislator, so mm. it was um, it was kind of cool to show off that side of you know one of my interests. So yeah, it was fun. And I just want to throw this out there: anybody who's listening and like, oh, I wish you got to see it. Uh, I believe that the yes. state house they brought the house side broadcast a lot of the the hearings and these author talks. Uh, and if you have a community access center, ask them if they would be kind enough to download because I believe that they do distribute it to a lot of the access centers and it is on Mass Media Exchange and you too can get a chance That's to like see. That's like a good double plug there, Kevin. You like that? You plugged my book yeah, and you plug Community Access TV which is like, you're the master, man. I'm trying. I gotta give my, yeah, this is, you're out. <laughs> but, you, but, it, but it's you true Your listeners though. are fortunate to have someone like, you know, Mr. Tachi here. Let me tell you. Appreciate it, sir. <laughs> and, and let's well, let's not to move on to something that's uh, even more interesting. Yes, I understand. We actually can name a snowplow. 
Is there yes, a contest I, that's going on? You know, on? I don't know how many kids are listening right now, but um, wanted to mention that, that we're having a, the Name a Snowplow uh, contest. is back on again after uh, last year. They had some really fun and creative names. And so um, kids can uh, enter in. I think the, the entry deadline is December 1st to name a snowplow. Uh, this is for, the, for MassDOT. Uh, and they will actually put it on the snowplow. And, and the winning students, I think they're going to have winners for each of the regions. There's, um, there's six different highway, highway district regions in Massachusetts. And so they'll have two in each region that will be named based on what all the different entries are. And so if you go to mass.gov and just put in snowplow, I think you can find the, um, the contest. Um, so it's, it's kind of a fun thing to do. And I think... I remember some of the names from last year. Um, you know, were really creative, and so I'm sure there'll be some more super creative uh, names again this year. So that's a fun way to, you know, plowing snow is not a fun topic, but when you can have a little fun with a name, you know, I think that's a great thing. Uh, another um, nice, light, fun story. Uh, someone from your district who actually uh, was in chambers, and they actually have a um, a painting that they're going to look to make copies of as a fundraiser. But I, I guess this, this piece of art, which is, I, it, when I'm looking at it, it it's fantastic. I see downtown women, Main Street and Birch, Birch Pond. And uh, talk to me a little bit about this uh, piece of art. Yes. No, so th- this is uh, it's Ka- a Hanson artist, Kathy Ferrara, who's a, a talented uh, local artist who's done a lot of different local scenes. And if you live in Hanson, you, I'm sure you've seen uh, some of her images of the Thomas Mill or the Hanson Town Hall. Uh, and so, you know, I talked to Kathy a little while back and we talked about trying to come up with uh, another piece of art um, uh, representing the town of Hanson that we could hang up at the State House. And so uh, Kathy was a great sport and she worked on this and, um, you know, we just unveiled it just uh, just recently, just uh, within the last couple of weeks. Uh, and I, you know, I wish we weren't on radio so that I could actually show you the art because it's really cool. And maybe maybe we can get WHD to put it on their their <sighs> website. Uh, it's not a bad idea. Yes, uh, but anyway, so again, Kathy Ferrara, Hanson artist, painted this great scene of Hanson, and it it kind of incorporates all, a lot of the historic tradition of the town. That you know, the cranberry origins uh, of the town. It's got Burridge Pond. It's got you know the town hall. Uh, it's a really neat image, uh, and so she did. It was an original work. She, uh, you know, she she painted it and framed it, and we uh, brought it to the state house, and we did a little presentation uh, up at the state house, and we have a nice picture here of Kathy and myself, and one of our staff members, Christina Rogers, who's from Hanson, uh, at, at the uh, in the state house um, chamber, and uh, so it, the painting is now hanging on the wall in our office for visitors to come by, and so it's a you know it's a great addition to the state house, and really. Glad to see uh, a little bit of Hanson history on display, and, and, and kudos to Kathy Ferrara for doing it. And I did want to give her a plug while we're giving plugs that uh, Kathy is uh, generously going to uh, make some prints of this new painting and have um, them sold for charity. And we're still trying to get the details on that, but uh, that would be a nice, a great holiday gift or a great gift whenever it comes out. Uh, and again, um, it's uh, Hanson. Uh, Hanson artist Kathy Frower with her. I don't think it has a title. That's one thing. We'll have to come up with a title for hmm. it because then it'll make it easier to, to describe. But um, it's a great, it's a, it's a really cool image and I would encourage folks to try to get a copy when they become available. If folks, if any of your constituents want to get in touch with you, anybody wants to reach out Am to you? Am I getting the high sign, Kevin? I think we have some yeah, new guests I, I, here. Yeah, I think uh, warming up the bullpen. Yes, the next warming up the bullpen. We have, you know, coming out of that. Eric Joyce. Yes. Uh, I was going to say, a, you know, rookie sensation, but, you know, not really a rookie. <laughs> But perhaps to this role, right? Is that correct? Okay. All right. And a former plan- planning board member 
So as someone who made the leap from planning board to state representative, you know, I have, uh, you know, a lot of respect. So you'll be tuned in for the segment. Yes, right, yes. Uh, so, all right, well, listeners, I'm getting the hook, but it's been a pleasure to be here. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed our little chat. And, uh, you'll be back. I'll be, I'll be, will I, will I be back? Oh, yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, we'll have to have you in with Kathy or, or Matt. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I, I will look for that and hopefully be back before Christmas. But if not, I hope everyone has a great holiday. Done deal. Season. All right. Done deal. All right. Well, thank you. Have a great night. All right. Off with the hook. That's the uh, first segment of Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 WATD. Stay tuned. Eric Joyce, Mayor Elect, coming up. is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi on 95.9 WATD. Fall is a great time to enjoy alfresco dining at the patio at McGuigan's. Start your open-air meal with a patio sampler platter piled high with chicken wings, cauliflower, potato skins, egg rolls, and chicken and biscuits. The patio's specialties include koji steak tips, braised short ribs, pan-seared salmon, and chicken marsala. Looking for something lighter? Sink your teeth into a patio burger, pulled pork sandwich, fish tacos, or margarita flatbread. Friday and Saturday nights feature live entertainment at the patio at McGuigan's, sip on a specialty cocktail and unwind from the week as the fall breeze cools down the evening. The patio at McGuigan's is at 552 Washington Street in Whitman Center. And check out McGuigan's Pub next door at 546 Washington Street, also in Whitman Center. Exergen thermometers are clinically proven to be more accurate than non-contact thermometers. Exergen is fast, non-invasive, and accurate. Find Exergen thermometers for your home at Walmart and other participating retailers. Learn more about why accuracy matters at exergen.com. If you like using debit over credit, don't you think it's time you also get rewarded? Well, now you can with Discover Cashback Debit. It's a checking account that rewards everyone with cash back on everyday purchases with no fees, period. Check out eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. I'm Dr. Andy Wiemeyer, owner of Contemporary Prosthodontics. Once people commit to fixing their smile, they want a solution to be straightforward. What really makes our patients happy is that we can perform all phases of their treatment in one office. This makes the process smoother and more efficient from start to finish, providing peace of mind. If you have a dental problem for which you'd like to see a specialist, we're the place for you. Call Contemporary Prosthodontics today, 781-934-2300 or find us at ContemporaryPro.com. Invest your time in listening to Cape Retirement Radio and learn a smarter approach to investing so you can protect your future. Cape Retirement Radio, featuring Chris Latond, Thursday nights at 6.15 and Sunday mornings at 10 on 95.9 WATD. Be a part of the show. Call and join in on the conversation. 781-837-4900. Now, back to Monday Night Talk. And welcome back to Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 WATD. And uh, we have the privilege of speaking with uh, Mayor-elect from Braintree. Aaron Joyce is our guest. Kind of been the past few weeks trying to all the local mayors. The one mayor that has keeps escaping is Mayor Coke. Mayor Coke, <laughs> got you my sights. We're going to get you on eventually to kind of chat about being reelected as well. Aaron. Welcome Hi. to Monday Night Talk officially. Thank you. Thank you for having me tonight. I, I So I told her while we were in the break, I says, you know, my intro, which is something that some people still roll their eyes because we had a lot of folks who were previously uh, elected who are no longer, including the first mayor of Brighton when they 
changed uh, the form of government was Joe Sullivan. Yeah. It'd be nice to have Erin Joyce with nice, robust, clean audio being a part of the show. Great, yes. I'm so excited. It's um, always fun to come to WATD, and I'm thrilled to be here uh, tonight with you. So thanks for having me. You're going to become a staple. Well, Next four years. Yeah, four years. Talk about a lot of stuff happening in Braintree. Well, you know, the first thing I got to ask you is, you're somebody who has, you have served... Uh, in other on other committees. Yep. Uh, f- oddly enough, you had Josh Cutler saying to you, oh, "I was on the planning uh, planning board." Were you somebody? Were you appointed or were you elected? Yeah, so I was appointed in uh, Braintree when they changed the form of government from um, to mayor. It, it moved to an appointed board, so mm-hmm. I was appointed by uh, Mayor Joe Sullivan. Um, almost nine years ago, and I had served. Um, Pretty much until I had made the decision to run for mayor, and then I had stepped away to um, run for mayor of Braintree. Um, but yeah, I served. I served for a long time. What was the moment? When did the light bulb go on? That you like whether it was somebody who suggested it to you. You're like, oh, you know what? I would make a pretty darn good mayor. <laughs> it was definitely a slow, uh, slow build up, but a lot of th- sort of little things added up to it. I had um, done a leadership program that South Shore Chamber of Commerce and South Shore Bank had run. It was uh, called Leadership Leadership South Shore. And that was right after COVID. And I sort of did it in an effort to learn more about the region and how I could apply it through planning. And the town of Braintree was working on a master plan at the time. And it was sort of a regional leadership building program. And it sort of opened my eyes up to just other opportunities to lead in a community. And somebody at that in that program had jokingly sort of said, oh, maybe one day you'll, you'll be the mayor of Braintree. And I kind of laughed, but then the wheels started turning. And then for the next you know, year plus, it was just thinking about, could I do this? This, this would be really cool to be able to participate and give back in that way. And I was already involved in a lot of things around town. Um, on the planning board, I was on the Charter Review Commission. I was on the Master Plan Steering Committee. I was involved in my children's PTO. It was all these sort of ideas that seemed to sort of culminate in a really unique opportunity. And um, last spring, I decided, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to run for mayor. Yeah, and it sounds to me like to some of the committees you are part of, I mean, that's like the nuts and bolts of uh, a municipality. Yeah. It's kind of a key. It was. It was, especially the Charter Review Commission, looking Uh at actually how the town was set up and how all the different departments worked and you know, where the different um, responsibilities of how the town government worked was was set out. It, it really did kind of expose you in a unique way. I don't think most people spend, you know, hours reviewing their town's charter, but I was. So, um, so yeah, all those little things added up to a big idea to um, pull papers and run for mayor uh, this last spring. So, Talk about building a team to make this happen, because you, you obviously, you know, you're, you're the face of the team. Yep. But you have folks who are also working with you to kind yep. of make sure that you're on point and that you know what's going on. You know the pulse of the community. Yeah, yeah. It's um, over the years, just volunteering around town, I got to meet a lot of people in a lot of different positions, whether elected positions, other appointed positions, volunteers. So, you know, you're, you are building a network of people who are the, the workers and the doers around town. And I think all of those people were always very encouraging um, and supportive. And that is why the campaign was as successful as it was. We had a small campaign team, relatively speaking, uh, some, some, fellow parents and very talented uh, 
you know, in their own right through their, their marketing experience and their management experience. And we launched a campaign, never having launched a campaign or participated in a campaign. We were uh, newbies to some extent, but we were fast learners. And I think we were very successful because we were sort of coming in with a fresh perspective. Well, let's talk about key issues that you're excited to get to work on. So I'm really excited to sort of get into uh, planning for the future of Braintree, especially with, uh, we just finished up our master plan, which we updated, and now we sort of have to propel that into a zoning update. And we're also working with, because we are an MBTA community, we have uh, multiple rapid transit mm -hmm. stops. So we're subject to the MBTA Communities Act that the state is working on. And so we are working on that. And I think putting that into play and actually having the community conversations and what that actually ends up being built is going to be very pivotal for the town. And I think my experience in planning and just my desire to work uh, with community members and have those discussions, I'm really looking forward to sort of an opening um, of a door that we've We've talked a lot about where we want to be in the future, and Braintree's been sort of slow slow to sort of move and evolve, and this is an opportunity, I think, to really, you know, move the town into the next 20, 30 years, and hopefully in a stable way, something that's, you know, sort of growing, but in a way that is sustainable and not, you know, not too fast, but able to meet our, our financial needs in the future um, is really exciting. I don't think most people have the, you know, the ability to have that sort of impact on their communities. Um, so I'm excited for that piece. It takes a special kind of bandwidth to be able to kind of do it. Yeah. For sure. Um, how has the transition been like? I mean, you got you got to work with Mayor Kokoros. What's it been like kind of getting acclimated? How how things he's doing and how you can transition in, into, you know, Team Joyce? Yeah, so we had, right after the election, we had sort of a kickoff meeting with uh, Mayor Kokoros and sort of talked about some sort of really high level transition pieces. We are currently meeting with different department heads to understand their challenges, their opportunities that they see, sort of how the departments are structured, going through overall town hall structures, who's working where. Um, you know, I think initially coming in, we're just really hoping to sort of insert ourselves with maybe some fresh ideas and some more just dedicated focus on growing the town's revenues and helping the people that are working really hard in town hall on pretty pretty tight budgets to be successful and helping them do their do their jobs um, successfully. So we are trying to sort of get get a feeling for where everyone is. We we have you know our people in mind for the mayor's office to sort of formulate that. There will probably be a bit of restructuring in that, um, which we're not quite sure what that looks like yet, but um, but we're excited to tackle it. There's a lot of people who are really excited at an opportunity to serve in the town of Braintree. So I think giving more people voice and access is what I'm really looking forward to. So day one, figuratively, where do you start? Day one is January 2nd. So that's inauguration the day? inauguration day. Mm. It feels like something out of Frozen, actually, right? <laughs> <laughs> Inauguration Day. Um, but that's, uh, so that'll be, you know, a f formal little um, ceremony in the morning. And then I think in the evening, we're working through the details of that, which we'll be excited to share and hope that a lot of uh, people in the town can participate and come um, to that ceremony. But the first, you know, sort of 30 days um, in office is going to be, you know, setting up our our shop in the mayor's office, uh, continuing to meet with department heads and, and and members of the different unions in town and touring the facilities that are owned by the town, whether it's school buildings or public buildings, really just sorting to 
sit in and see how things are going and, and start to sort of formulate, you know, we have, we will be coming in right into the thick budget, budget season. season. Oh, yeah. So we're already sort of, we've, we've been tracking that very closely all in the last, you know, through the campaign and, and moving forward. So we'll be on top of that. We really want to be able to have the budget be something that looks fresh, is well explained, that we're really proud to present. We have a lot of challenges, as most communities do, the sort of just the increase in costs um, and the ability to generate revenue um, to meet those costs. So we know it's going to be challenging. We're hoping to sort of bring a level of... Um, just more information and and maybe just more ideas and options so that people can understand sort of if we can't generate this revenue this is what you know we're faced with cutting and and really laying it out i think in a way that doesn't isn't painting any sort of picture it's more just giving the residents the tools to understand where we're at i think that's key i think transparency is key Letting folks know where things are, if they understand it there, and then no, sure they may. If you say, well, we're gonna, we may have to make cuts here and there. At least they're being told. It's not like a last-minute decision that oh, well, we just decided last night we're going to. They're in on those on those conversations. It has Braintree traditionally had its issues with with budget season and having to make cuts? Yeah, I mean, last budget season, and I think that was really sort of part of the messaging we were able to bring forward on the campaign trail was, you know, not a lot of residents attend the budget meetings. They're, they're very cumbersome. There's a ton of them. Oh, it's yeah. in May when everything, you know, everything it is, it's very, each department comes yes. in and they get, plead why please don't cut my budget. Yeah. And, 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 and we had been cutting budgets the last couple of years and certainly COVID impacted that in some ways, but COVID also brought a lot of money sort of into communities to backfill it. So it was, you know, Cares Act, plus, plus and minus of that. But, you know, last last budget season, we used, a good, we used $4.3 million of our free cash to balance an operating budget. And that's not sustainable. We know we're looking at that next year, but we're also looking at teacher contracts that are coming up on, you know, needing the, the of the third year, the biggest increase. And, you know, it's very likely that we're going to be talking about cutting, you know, positions in town and cutting services. And I don't think people before the campaign were really as aware of it. And I think you, it's it's not new per se. It's been coming, but I don't think we do a, a good enough job sort of laying it out for the average person to care or see what's happening. You, When teachers are cut, sure, yes, of course, everyone's going to be upset about that, but it wasn't something that's going to happen overnight. It's something that's been building up. So we're hoping to sort of tell that story and make people aware and help have those conversations about how can we raise the revenue? Where are we going to be, you know, maybe pausing investment decisions to be able to fund just the bare minimum services that we're all expecting to fund. So I think it's really the transparency to me and government is giving the people the information, good or bad, and being as open you can about the decisions you're making. You have, as as the mayor, you certainly have access to the most resources and information. Your ability to share that and connect dots for people, I think, is 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 the greatest opportunity you have to serve your community. Talk about the the family balance because you're a mom, right? Oh, yeah, and yeah. and you know you go you're moving into a high profile position. And I've I've had my conversations with mayors over the years, and you you know it, it turns into a twenty four seven job, 
you know, and you're obviously ready for it. Yeah. Um, is your family ready for it? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've, my husband and I uh, have a business together. So we've always been working and, and having kids and they've always seen sort of the fact that you're doing all these things sort of simultaneously. Mm. And they have seen me volunteering around town hall and running out for night meetings and volunteering. So I look at it as taking sort of all these extracurricular volunteer activities and my profession and sort of funneling it all into one job that will be sort of all of these pieces. So I think while the time will probably feel pretty similar because I'm very busy in general. You're basically you're reverse engineering it. Yes, exactly. Um, Figuratively speaking, right? I think you also have to be just very um, conscious of your schedule and your time and just make sure that you do, you know, you, you are making sure that you have the time set aside for, for family commitments and, but it's all blended together. You know, the kids will see me doing the work, will be in town doing the work. It's kind of, it's just a blended up, you know, jumble of time. I mean, I think it's great for them to see it. I know it's going to be a challenge. Um, it's fun. To see. But this it's, is a fun challenge. It is. It is. I think we had so many just because my kids, I have a six-year-old, 10-year-old, and 13-year-old. Oh, great, so yeah, great ages. The elementary, you know, going to this elementary school that my son's at during the campaign, like, kids were so excited. Like, what what kids are really talking about a mayoral race and, and, ha- and seeing that sort of play out? It's been, it's been cool. I think, I, I think local municipal government can be a lot more connected to people and children and teens. And, you know, that's, that's the engagement you hope to reach, I think, as a as a local leader. And we saw that happen during the campaign. I hope to keep that, you know, as as we move forward into the administration, because I think it's important. That's who you're there to sort of serve and be available to and have people have access to. If you're just tuning in, we just a couple more minutes left with Erin Joyce, a Brentree mayor elect, who is our guest. And uh, we're hoping we'll have her on uh, on a regular basis, quarterly, whenever she's available, something to, to talk about. Have you had a chance to have conversations with other mayors on the South Shore, Bob Sullivan, Bob Hadlin, uh, Tom Koch. A little bit, um, some before some before the election, and a little bit after the election. I've I've certainly um, crossed paths. I, we had during the campaign had a chance to meet with Mayor Koch, um, lovely, professional, um, just great human. And I think you know a very. He's done a lot in Quincy. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to meet with him again in the capacity as a, as a neighboring mayor um, and hopefully have a nice relationship. Uh, same with uh, Mayor uh, Headland in Weymouth. I bumped into him um, right before the election. And then again, I was at an event that the Chamber of Commerce hosted last Friday and bumped into him. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to sort of ha- form those relationships. I think there's a lot that the community, you know, your neighboring communities can work on regionally. Yep. And we have very similar issues. So, you know, work smarter, not hard, you know, use the resources around you. And I I think, you know, they're both, you know, great, great resources for for myself as as a new mayor and the town of Braintree, just, you know, growing sort of regional relationships. Anything that we haven't touched upon during our conversation, but this is your your opportunity to kind of get it across to the folks who tuned in? Oh, that's a great question. I know. That's why I asked oh, it. Oh, my gosh. But it's kind of hard. Um, if not, I get a backup see. question. Yeah, ask me your backup <laughs> question. I was going to ask if you might, is there any thought for the uh, administration to have open door hours for residents? Yes, absolutely. We've we talked about that a lot on the campaign trail. I would love to have 
you know, not even so much as open hours, like in my office where, where people are invited to town hall. I think that's important, but I would love to have office hours in people's neighborhoods. So, you know, I will be at this local park from this time. Please come by and see me or let's walk on, you know, let's walk your neighborhood. I think it's really important to get out and experience your community with people that are living in those areas. I don't think, I think a bit of it can be lost when, when, residents are coming into your office it's not as inviting it feels more formal maybe people feel less comfortable to to you know to tell you things so I, I think as much as I can go out into the neighborhoods and meet with people where they are I hope to be able to do that and I will be working on setting that up well I want to thank you so much for being my guest thank this you. evening thank you. And, and I want to thank uh, Audrey for for make she's actually a silent partner here yes try to get her on microphone but uh, I want to thank both of you and I look thank forward to you. more conversations down the road. Yes. Hour number one gone. We'll be back in a moment. WATD FM Marshfield, WBMS Brockton. The South Shore's first choice for live team coverage of breaking news, emergency traffic, and severe weather. WATD. Streaming online at 959WATD.com and with your smart speaker just by saying play WATD. What is AA? Alcoholics Anonymous is an international fellowship of people who have had a drinking problem. It is non-professional and self-supporting. AA is multiracial, apolitical, and available almost everywhere. There are no age or education requirements. Membership is open to anyone who wants to do something about their drinking problem. For more information, literature, and videos about Alcoholics Anonymous, and to find a meeting near you, visit AA.org. Alcoholics Anonymous has a solution. Fall is a great time to enjoy alfresco dining at the patio at McGuigan's. Start your open-air meal with a patio sampler platter piled high with chicken wings, cauliflower, potato skins, egg rolls, and chicken and biscuits. The patio's specialties include koji steak tips, braised short ribs, pan-seared salmon, and chicken marsala. Looking for something lighter? Sink your teeth into a patio burger, pulled pork sandwich, fish tacos, or margarita flatbread. Friday and Saturday nights feature live entertainment at the patio at McGuigan's, sip on a specialty cocktail and unwind from the week as the fall breeze cools down the evening. The patio at McGuigan's is at 552 Washington Street in Whitman Center. And check out McGuigan's Pub next door at 546 Washington Street, also in Whitman Center. I'm Tamron Hall. Eggs are a staple in our diets, and there's only one egg with more delicious, farm-fresh taste plus superior nutrition. Eggland's Best, with more vitamins, including six times more vitamin D and ten times more vitamin E, plus 25% less saturated fat than ordinary eggs. Available in so many delicious varieties. Classic, cage-free, and organic. Eggland's Best. Better taste, better nutrition, better eggs. Hi, what brings you to the clinic today? Oh, the baby's not feeling well. I think she might have a fever. Oh, well, let's check her temp with the Exergen thermometer. You're right. These Exergen thermometers are very accurate. Reads 101.2. Oh, gosh. Well, that Exergen thermometer sure is fast and easy to use. Yes, and many doctors recommend Exergen for home use. Exergen thermometers backed by over 100 clinical studies are available at Walmart and participating retailers. Learn more at exergen.com. Tis the season for trivia on 95.9 WATD. Test your knowledge of Noel and win fabulous prizes to stuff your stockings this Christmas. Listen for the cue from Eddie the Elf beginning this Friday through December 15th and be the 12th caller to answer Tis the Season Trivia. 
Correct answers win gift cards from one of our contest's wonderful sponsors. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas at the station that packs the presents, 95.9 WATD. Follow Monday Night Talk on Twitter. Start at 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk. And don't forget to add hashtag Monday Night Talk to your tweets. We now return to Kevin Tachi and Monday Night Talk. I have to say, our number one sensational. Uh, big thank you to my, uh, my guest. Uh, not only uh, the State House Report with uh, State Rep Josh Collar. Great conversation. But even better with uh, Aaron Joyce, a Braintree mayor-elect, uh, who joined us here in studio. So uh, thanks to uh, our earlier guests. Uh, just a preview of uh, our final segment with Mr. Mark Rochiteau. Yes, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Irving Berlin's White Christmas, the musical. It's going to be uh, hitting the stage uh, later this week at Massasoit Community College, the Brockton campus on Route 27. But uh, we start now uh, just up the road in the community uh, known as Whitman, Massachusetts, as uh, I have my annual conversation with this gentleman uh, as we talk a little bit about something that has been done since 2001. Uh, It actually started out as a different charity and... um, it evolved into what is now known as the Whitman Area Toy Drive. And a couple of the head elves happen to be Donnie Westhaver and Jane Plas. These two individuals, as well as a group of other elves that join them and assist, make it possible for folks who are struggling, whether it's they need heat assistance, maybe they need a meal at Thanksgiving, maybe it's toys for younger age children, uh, the Whitman area, uh, the Whitman area toy drive has made it so. And this all also culminates in uh, our conversation as there's a big event that's happening later this week where they're going to attempt to stuff a cruiser and an ambulance. Uh, I give you the gentleman uh, who is one of the, like I said, head elves uh, in this promotion to help others, Mr. Donnie Westhaver. Don- Donnie, welcome back to Monday Night Talk. Donnie, are you there? Yes, Kevin. How are you? Good. I'm doing good. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. All uh, right. So, I... welcome back to the show. Thank you. Um, I hope I was correct with all my information in regards to uh, this organization and what it is that you guys do when it comes to the holiday season and helping local communities. Yeah, you're pretty much spot on, Kevin. Um uh, again, you know, we started the uh, Whitman Area toy, uh, toy Drive in uh, 2001, but it actually started in 2000 yep. when I originally did it for the uh, Marine Corps uh, Toy for Tots program. But we broke away the second year because we wanted to keep all the toys directly in the into the uh, immediate community, which is the South Shore area. And uh, from that point on, we called it the Whitman Area Toy Drive, and we've been pretty successful. And this is our 23rd year doing it. So, how has it grown? Because I've only had the privilege of seeing it, seeing it over the past 10 to 15 years. And there have been times when I've walked in and it's interesting how you guys have things laid out. You've, you use the pavilion, the, the um, VFW pavilion, 
uh, in Whitman, and there's there are tables, and the tables are usually age uh, age appropriate. They, they might even be broken up to to gender as well, from from the youngest to the oldest. Uh, clothing as well has it grown even beyond that. It has. It's, it's been a. I guess you could say it's crazy, but it's crazy good. What's happened is over the years, um, we uh, we're up until 2019. Well, when the uh, pandemic hit, Kevin, uh, we had to change things around. We couldn't allow the people to come in and do their own shopping and touch the the toys because of that. So what we've done from that point on uh, is a wish list. So if the parents want to have a a boy, let's say eight years old, and he has a particular set of items on his wish list and a girl five years old, whatever the, whatever the age may be, they let us know what the wish list is, and now we do the shopping for them. Uh, but you're right, the tables are still set up age-appropriate and by gender, and uh, we streamlined things quite a bit uh, since you've seen us uh, over the years, Kevin. What we've done is we have a sports table now, a Lego table, Bobby's table. It's uh, pretty much broken up into an individual-type setup uh, with the toys, which makes it easier for us to uh, to gather the wish list together. And we have a ton of people that are on our family, and it is a family now. It's not a matter of helpers. Uh, right. They're all uh, been with us for quite a few years. So, yeah, uh, this is really growing pretty big. Yeah, and, you know, I know I mentioned you, and I, I also mentioned Jane. I know that there was, there was a time when you were not able to necessarily... Uh, be the, the 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 lead the lead uh, director of this, and Jane has been kind of a a co-director of this with you uh, over the years as well. Talk to me about about the team and, and Jane and and the work that you guys do together to be able to help families in need. Sure. Um, uh, when we started off uh, quite a few years ago, um, I had two other partners, the Jack Denosi, who owned uh, Marcelo Sub Shop here in town and Jim McDonald, who owns Essex Creek Storage Shed. But over the years, uh, their businesses have uh, have grown, and they weren't able to devote as much time. So about 12 years ago this year, uh, Jane uh, jumped onto the program, and she's been uh, with me ever since. And uh, she takes care of ideas. Well, it's great. It's not that <laughs> she does uh, most, most of the uh, the female end of the, uh, the buying, and I do the male end only because uh, she's more adept to that type of thing. But... Um, yeah, we, we've been going strong ever since then. Uh, we've got a great group uh, that comes in every year and helps us set up and helps us uh, put the toys in the bags so we can put the names on the bags and have a given Saturday or Sunday <clears throat> from uh, this point on to come down and uh, pick up the toys. Again, if you're just tuning in, we are speaking with Donnie Westhaver. We're talking about the Whitman Area Toy Drive established in 2001. Of course, uh, it originated in 2000, but the name was changed. Um, now, are you still seeking, do you, do you feel that you're still seeking donations from folks? Or have you reached a point to, to, that, to, to date where, you know, you still have, you're, you're still, people are still giving not only at this time of year, but to give you a round. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're always uh, accepting donations. The the good thing about the drive is, uh, even we, if, even if when we get late donations around the end of December or going into uh, uh, Christmas Eve, it allows us to start our shopping, or I should say, our giving earlier in the year because we have enough toys to start filling up some of these tables, but never enough to actually finish or accomplish the end. So. 
Um, and we do this through our annual uh, stuff of cruiser and ambulance that you mentioned earlier. I was just coming up this Saturday, December 2nd, from 9 to 1 at the VFW Pavilion. Uh, that's a great program. We get tons of toys, gift cards, and uh, uh, clothes to that event. And then we have another event that comes up. It's not an event, but a, uh, a fellow that goes out and, and gets money from uh, his friends and families, and he goes out and does a lot of shopping right around the middle of December and brings in another ton of toys. So um, we're very fortunate in that end to be able to take care of all these families the way we do. And now as far as the, the stuff a cruiser and ambulance, that has that been relocated? Were you going to originally do it in in the police station parking lot, but have had to since change that? Yes. Well, normally it's, a, it's done at the parking lot. But because there's a football game mm-hmm. at Memorial Field, which is right beside the police station parking lot, um, that parking lot would fill up pretty quick with cars for the football game, so it wouldn't allow us to have the crowds come in with the toys. So what we did is we just went down the street maybe a, a, a few hundred yards, to our home base, which is the VFW Pavilion, to have a separate cruiser program. Normally, it would be at the station, but uh, because of that, uh, we were forced to move down the street. Uh, but all is well either way. Okay. Uh, it, the other thing I, I had alluded to earlier in the show, and that is, is that mm-hmm. that this is this has also been something that has grown beyond toys, and and, and that is, is assisting families in need, and and they're. Tell me some of the some of the things that the organization has done over the years to assist assist families, whether it's a meal, whether it's something that is beyond a gift. Okay, well, um, what we've done is we've taken the adage that you, uh, they can't eat a toy, and what we mean by that is, come Christmas, there should be a, a reason that families get together and have a, a, a nice Christmas meal on top of waking up Christmas morning uh, to to get the, the uh, presents under the tree. So what we've done is we've gotten a lot of money uh, uh, donations, and we've gotten donations through uh, gift cards for a stop and shop. So what we'll do is we'll give families gift cards for a stop and shop to go out and get a meal on top of the gifts that we give them. Okay. Uh, and I think I also had mentioned the fact that you've also taken on a new, uh, something new, for folks who may not be ambulant, folks who are, they may be bound to a, a wheelchair. Um, is it not a new venture that's part of the um, Whitman Area Toy Drive? It is. Uh, well, we call it Whitman Wheel for Disabled Veterans and Citizens uh, at large. Um, and we're going into our 14th year actually doing that where I get wheelchairs, uh, wheelchair ramps, uh, commodes, uh, hospital beds, anything uh, medical. It's, uh, and it's been uh, donated. That nothing We pay for nothing. It's all donated to us. And what we do is we give it out and uh, we gift it to people that do not have insurance or have no means of getting this medical equipment. Um, and that's grown pretty big <laughs> over the last 13 years. So uh, uh, what we've done is we've incorporated that into the toy drive, which is a, a 501c3, by the way. We have a five-star rating with the Attorney General's Office for the work that we do uh, year after year. So that's something we're, we're pretty proud of, and uh, um, going forward, we're going to keep doing this, Kevin. Would you mind Would you mind sharing your personal story and talking a little bit about, you know, there was there were a few years where you you were not able to be a, be a part of this, and, and a lot of folks saw it as you being, you know, the engine 
that you know that that, that helped drive this. I believe that recently you were recognized during a zip trip by Boston 25, the the TV news station that visited the community, and you received an award. Can you talk a little bit about that? Okay. Well, um, I know you don't like talking about yourself. No, that's but I think it's important okay. that folks know what kind of a what kind of an individual you are, and the work you know the work that you put in, even with even with some of the things that you've had to endure in your life. Well, um, okay. Well, when you talk about the uh, the medical equipment, for instance, the reason why I get into that is my my wife got sick in two thousand eight and two thousand nine uh, with cancer, lung cancer, and she passed away in two thousand nine. Mm. The VFW put a wheelchair ramp on my house. Uh, our, our house for her and um, when she passed on we took the wheelchair ramp and regifted it and uh, the people we regifted that to needed a wheelchair so I went on Facebook asked for anything medical and that's how that end of the thing started um, six years ago I had surgery uh, that went bad I had a lot of complications and made me a quadriplegic um, and since then, I've been able to get some upper arm strength, so I consider myself paraplegic, even though they still want to consider me quadriplegic. But um, I didn't let that stop me. I, I, I can't. I can't, Kevin, because um, uh, there was too much to do, and I was able to still run the toy drive even all those years. Um, it, it was a little bit different for me because now I need help uh, to, to get around, driving around, because I can't drive because of my paraplegia. And uh, as far as the, the zip trip goes that you talked about, um, they wanted me a hometown hero, and I got to tell you, Kevin, I'm no hometown hero. I, I, I don't like that distinction. I'll, I'll be honest with you, because I have too many people that have helped me along the way, and that are as strong, if not stronger, than I am to do these things. I mean, it, um, it, it's humbling. I, it, it's okay. I appreciate uh, everything that the town wants wants to do and wants to recognize me for. But there were a lot more people uh, beside me behind the behind the scenes here that deserve as much, if not more, credit than I do. Again, if you are just uh, tuning in, uh, we are speaking with Donnie Westhaver. We're talking a little bit about uh, supporting the Whitman area toy drive. Uh, again, this is a, an esta- uh, a nonprofit that is helping families and veteran families who, who need assistance throughout the holiday season. Uh, and it's, you know, while it says Whitman area, um, you know, the, if you are in a neighboring community, they will not. They will not say no to you. Um, what, what do you feel that your the biggest need is right now? For you know, early on here, you know, we're late November, early in the season. What, what are some of the things that if folks are willing, if they're looking to assist your organization, that they can help you with? Uh, two things, actually. Um, gift cards is, is great because it allows us to get things that we don't get on the, on the tables. And uh, we call it tweens. It's anywhere from 12 to 14 years old, even 15 years old. Uh, those are the tables that uh, we're shot in. It's not that we don't have anything, but we, we're we not full on those tables. We started with two tables 20, uh, 23 years ago, Kevin, and we're up to about 50 tables now that fill up and go down, fill up again, sometimes two or three times before Christmas Eve. That's how many toys we give out. We don't just give out one toy per child. We'll give out four or five or six. Um, if it's clothes that they need, sometimes we get jackets and uh, and other things. And that's where the gift cards also come in. If somebody's looking for jackets or boots and we don't have them, we try to give them gift cards so they can go shopping and pick it up themselves on top of the uh, toys that we give them. So, 
Yeah, it, it's the teenagers that we really have a problem trying to um, fill those tables up. Uh, anywhere from one year old up to 10 or 11, uh, we do pretty well in that area as far as the gift goes, especially during the uh, stuff of cruise and stuff in ambulance. And um, Brian Denny, another fellow that uh, brings three, $4,000 worth of uh, toys down every year. So without these people, we'd have a hard time filling these, uh, these bags up. But... Um, Thank God. Thank God for them. You mentioned you mentioned gift cards. Um, yeah. Are gift cards also a best way to assist for the... Is there a tough age to buy for? Yeah. The, 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 actually, the, like I said, the 12, 13, right up to 15 years old. A lot of toy drives stop at 12 years old. They don't <laughs> like to get into the, the teen areas. But uh, we try to do the best we can for uh, the age appropriate you know, that we get. Um, so we try to at least get up to 15. If somebody was like 16 or 17 years old and they're still in the house, and let's say they went to sports, yeah, we can give them footballs and basketballs and some board games, at least something to open up uh, uh, under the tree for Christmas. So we don't like to say no to anybody if we can help it. But um, that's the way the toy drive goes. You know, we... we we, we do that. We also take on the uh, the food pantry here in Whitman, uh, where there's a lot of kids in that that we take care of there, along with the uh, other people at large that we take care of. So um, it's pretty rewarding. It's something I hope to be able to do for another 23 years if I live that long. <laughs> so, you know. what, what, what's the process like? Someone contacts you. I have three children. What 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 happens from there? Well, <clears throat> they can. Uh, they can text or they can uh, they can go on the Whitman Area Toy Drive, which is a site on our Facebook, or they can contact me personally through my Facebook page, through Messenger. And uh, uh, let's say for the sake of Ms. Jones down the street has three children, like you said, and they're five, eight, and, and ten years old. She'll give me a wish list and tell me what these people, what, what these kids uh, are into and what they'd like for Christmas, and we do our best to try to fill that wish list. Uh, we can't always sometimes do 100% of the wish list, but we can get a good uh, a good portion of it out to them. And uh, I don't think we've had anybody that's been unhappy with what we've done over the years. As a matter of fact, some some of these people have come back and are doing okay now and have, and have given back to the toy drive, and that's more rewarding to us than anything else, to have the people say, you took care of me three or four years ago when we were down and out, and now I'm back on my feet and I want to help out. So uh, all they got to do at this point is just, uh, again, they, they can call me on my phone. They can, I prefer they go to Messenger, which is a lot easier for me, so I can pick up uh, their names and their kids, and I get back to them, and, that's how the process works, Kevin. All they have to do is just let me know what the kids are looking for, and uh, we'll do our best to accommodate them. And let's also, as we're uh, finishing up here, talking about yeah. the uh, the toy drive, if someone is going to bring something to stuff the cruiser or ambulance, and again, mm-hmm. folks, it's December, it's this, uh, it's December 2nd, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Um, it's going to be at 95 Essex Street, Whitman, uh, the Whitman VFW rear pavilion parking lot. Is it? Do we want it to be unwrapped? Do you want it to be wrapped? Uh, unwrapped, actually. Yeah, we'd like to see what because uh, we, we put those we put those presents and those toys that we get right on the table. So even though uh, the actual stuff of cruiser and ambulance ends at one o'clock, 
we'll still be in the pavilion probably for another four hours trying to take the uh, toys that we get from that day and put them on table. So if people feel as though they can't make it between 9 and 1, they could always go down in between 1 and 4 o'clock and still um, you know, uh, come on in and, and see our process, and we'll gladly take whatever they'd like to donate. Um, so uh, any type of uh, present at all, any type of toys, and uh, even clothes, brand new, uh, we, we prefer they be new and not uh, used. Um, so there's no problem that way. And, and uh, we, put, again, put them on the appropriate tables, you know, by age and gender. And again, remember, this Saturday, December 2nd, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., uh, to, to help out. Anything that we haven't mentioned, um, I don't know if you want to give out your phone number, if folks want to reach out to you, or, or any other information? Yeah, uh, well, I can give my phone number. It's uh, 781-953-3615. And uh, if I don't answer, or if I can't get to the phone, just text me. Let, let me know who you are and what you're looking for. And uh, I get back to everybody. Uh, we'll do it that way. Um, and also, they can look up Jane Plus on Facebook. She's, uh, I believe her number may be on there also. I know it's on the card. I don't have it handy right now. Sorry. But um, uh, they can also message her. Because uh, she, she does a lot there in that end. Uh, we're both pretty much 50 50 on our calls and how we handle things, and uh, it makes the process a lot easier. Well, Donnie, I want to I wanna thank you for all that you do to help those, you and Jane, and, and all those who are involved with the Whitman Area Toy Drive. I, I wish you continued success, and if we need to get the word out uh, later on in the Christmas season, uh, if there's kind of a, you know, a little bit of a allow if we you know drop in donations we'd love to have you back on of course you know and uh again uh we, we can't do it without the public we you know it's the people for instance that are even listening to this program right now um w- without you we, we can't be successful and it's because of you that we are successful and um i want to thank you kevin for even having me on and putting the word out there so uh, year after year, when you do that, it does help. We have people say, I heard you on WATD, um, uh, and uh, we came down to help. So uh, it, it works. The process really works. And I appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you very much. You got it. And I'll, I'll look forward to talking to you more uh, down the road. You bet. Okay. There he is, Donnie Westhaver, uh, talking about the Whitman Area Toy Drive. Time for us to step aside just for a couple of moments. But when we come back, let's talk a little bit about uh, A White Christmas with Mark Rochstone. Stay tuned. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi on 95.9 WATD. Hi, I'm Peter Brown from the Plymouth Chamber of Commerce. And I'm Dave Stevens of Decked Out Apparel and Promotions. We want to invite you to the greatest event of the season. Toys for Tot event, Alden Park in Plymouth. The cost to get in? An unwrapped toy. That's it? That's all. Believe it or not, there are many kids within the sound of my voice that will have no toys under their tree, if they have a tree at all. No bicycle? No. No skateboard? No. No dolls? No. No basketball? No. Oh. Nothing. Jeez. So please join us, and the Marines. And Santa. For the biggest celebration of the season. Make a kid's Christmas and have some fun doing it. See you there. See you there, David. I'll be there. Toys for Tots, Wednesday, December 6th, 5 to 7.30 p.m. at Alden Park, 160 Colony Place, Plymouth. Oh, I love this restaurant. Glad we got a table quickly. What, what does that sign say? Caution, wet floor? No, right next to it. If you are 60 or older, you may be at increased risk of serious consequences from RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. 
compared to adults younger than 60. Huh, I didn't know that. Not all dangers come with warning labels. Talk to your pharmacist or doctor about getting vaccinated against RSV today. RSV vaccines, including Pfizer's, are available. Learn more at BewareOfRSV.com. Brought to you by Pfizer. Darius, look who just figured out how to find my Medicare plan options. Just typed in my zip code and boom. This is not just a search tool. Look at you go, Mom. This is Walgreens making it easy to find a Medicare plan with low-cost co-pays. During open enrollment, use Walgreens Find Rx coverage to help you find the right Medicare plan for you. This is being independent. Together. Walgreens. Patriotism is like charity. It lives in the heart. Salon Giovanni in Marshfield wants to thank the military for standing tall and fighting for the red, white, and blue. Bold stripes, bright stars, and brave hearts is what this country stands for. America without her soldiers is like God without his angels. We don't know them all, but we owe them all. Patriotism, it runs deep at Salon Giovanni in Marshfield. This nation will remain the land of the free as long as it's the home of the brave. Hey, it's John Shea here from Almost Famous Radio introducing you to independent bands and musicians. From across New England, every Tuesday night, 8 till 10, brought to you by Tiny and Sons Glass. Coming up tomorrow night, another jam-packed show in store for you. Tons of new music and upcoming show dates to pass along. And I'll be joined on the WATD Tiny Stage by singer-songwriter Sean England. That's tomorrow, 8 till 10, almost famous, 95.9 WATD and 95.9 WATD.com. Find Monday Night Talk on Facebook and share your opinions. Go to 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk. And it is upon us. I cannot believe it. The final segment of Monday Night Talk. I tell you, these shows, they fly. They're fun. That's what it is. That's why they go by so fast because the conversations are so compelling. The guests are on top of what you know their special specialty is and so that's why we have arrived at the final segment of the evening but by far it's probably going to be one of the best joining us is uh, an old friend gentleman who is uh, I, I like to call this and i say this uh in, in in a fun sense a repeat offender on the show he is a, re, uh, a returning guest uh as uh, he is usually here he's actually worn many a hat but I will, I will say that probably one of his primary functions when he comes on is uh, serving as uh, the gentleman who uh, promotes some of the great events that are happening over the Buckley Performing Arts Center on the Brockton campus of Massasoit Community College. None other than Mr. Mark Rashido joining us. Mark, welcome back to Monday Night Talk, sir. Well, thank you so much for having me, and, and uh, I'm, I'm honored to have uh, risen to the echelon of repeat offender. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I say, I say that in, in, in a fun sense, but it's a matter is is we like you know when we when there's a guest who is informative, somebody who you know can talk. I mean, yourself. There's so many different times that I've had you in to talk about various subjects. It's great when you can have a different voice and a different perspective. When you're touching upon it, and also knowing that we've talked theater so many different times, uh, knowing that you are going to be producing uh, a new uh, a new uh, show coming up, uh, I believe at uh, the end of this week, we have uh, Irving Berlin's White Christmas, the musical. How are you? So, so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, your latest production. 
I'm well, and thank you again for having me, and happy holidays to you and to your listeners. Um, our upcoming production of A White Christmas, uh, the musical, is um, the basically is, is based off of the film that came out in the 50s, I believe it was, 54-ish, um, that everyone loves um, that featured uh, Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye um, and a couple others. I think Rosemary Clooney was in that as well. Um, so, so this uh, this production is near and dear to our heart because it's something that we've been wanting to do for quite some time. Uh, we actually had had it slated for 2019. Mm. And the, uh, the rights when we applied for the rights, at first we were told that we were given permission for the rights. And then within a short amount of time, like I want to say it was like a week and a half, like, no, 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 no. Um, the rights are, are not available to you at this time because it was actually a professional tour going around. And um, they were coming to uh, the Boston area for those holidays. So that's actually, you'll remember, that's when we did Beauty and the Beast. Correct. As Beauty and the Beast was our second option uh, at that time, and then um, the world shut down. Decided to uh, have a little COVID break, and um, fortunately, we we made our way through that. And in coming out, we thought long and hard about what we wanted to do and what we thought that our audiences would appreciate. And one of the things that everybody loves is a good Christmas show. Um, and White Christmas fills all of the uh, all the boxes, checks off, no doubt in regards to um, a traditional piece. It's uh, as far as the musical goes, the technical side of it, it's a monster, as it's a big show. Um, but in regards to the audience side, it's a very fulfilling and uplifting piece, and it's exactly what we want to um, bring to our community. How has it been? I mean, I know that you've had a show or two since COVID because you've had to dabble with different ways to be able to kind of keep the uh, productions going. I think you even had one that was outdoors, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it looking back in retrospect, is it nice to kind of be back in your own space out there in the, the very cozy confines of the Buckley Performing Arts Center? Oh, definitely. I mean, when you when you consider an outdoor facility or venue for a performance, I mean, you basically have to bring all of your tech with you and figure that out. And, you know, at the time, obviously, when we were dealing with COVID and we were coming back from being shut down, it was a uh, kind of a necessary evil and something that we I thought we did a very good job with. And uh, but when you get to perform in indoors with the facility, with the tech is already there. I mean, you know, outdoors has its reasons for why you want to perform out there. Shakespeare always presents well outdoors, or the classicals always present well outdoors. There is a nostalgia for, uh, especially in the summertime, under the stars and whatnot. But again, for those who are producing it and putting it on, there are some hurdles to, to be jumped. And to be able to be inside the facility without COVID restrictions, mind you, and we actually, uh, Massasoit Community College uh, was one of the last to lift the final um, requirements of showing proof of vaccination and wearing masks because um, we were doing that up until I want to say I want to say this time last year, and then last spring we were able to present 
uh, musical without having the restrictions. So to be restriction-free, to be in this, this slot of the traditional Christmas uh, show, and to be uh, fully, in, you know, be indoors is um we're kind of really stepping on the gas and trying to uh, to make this this show uh, worth all that it deserves. Well, what is the process like to be able to to choose your shows, whether it's for the year, whether it's for the season? Knowing mm-hmm. the, the the holiday season, there's probably a limited number of productions. If you're somebody who you know, if it's the holiday season, usually you probably want to go more towards a musical. Although there are a few like Christmas Carol, which I I don't think is necessarily deemed a, a musical. Um, but but you know you've you've got limited options. What goes into choosing your show for this time of year? Sure, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with your question in regards to the fact that um, musical or straight play, as we call them, yep. uh, the non musicals. And uh, ironically, there is a musical version for a Christmas Carol, um, but we uh, we have yet to touch that one. Um, but it it, uh, it really depends upon the uh, the preference of your team. And um, obviously, a straight show is less uh, production heavy for us because there's no need for an orchestra, probably not a need for a choreographer and some other um, department positions. But there's still, you know, like a um, like a, a Christmas Carol, or um, uh, I want to say a miracle. No, miracle on Thirty Fourth Street is a Annie. miracle. Um, Annie's a musical. Um, what was the one with George Bailey? Uh, oh, it's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Is probably one of the uh, Wonderful Life and Christmas Carol are kind of the staples for straight shows. And um, and again, it comes down to where the team is at. My team usually would rather put on a musical um, in this slot in particular if we can. Uh, but you're right; there aren't a lot of Christmas um, Christmas uh, musicals that are worth um, that have that that familiarity. Obviously, White Christmas is one. Uh, Annie, as you said, is another one. But the, what you can do as a community theater in a regional theater is you can, for this particular slot for Christmas, you can rotate a very limited number of shows, and your audiences will come back year after year uh, because it becomes part of their tradition for that holiday. So um, we've talked about, we, we actually love this piece and it's coming together so far for us. It's coming together very well. I'm going to knock on some from Micah. But um, it is, it's selling very well for us too. And But um, there are some other pieces out there that we have not done yet. And I, I don't want to give those away in name, but uh, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll look. We we know that there are a lot of there are a lot of theater companies here on the South Shore, including the, the company theaters, kind of the, the the one that's probably that's mm-hmm. top of the pile. But there are other smaller ones, and everybody's trying to you know they're trying to do the best for their for the given audiences and grow their audiences. So I can sure. I can appreciate you kind of keeping it close to your vest, and not necessarily want to kind of sharing in the sharing any of that information. Yeah, and it's just part of the process. And you asked your question was more in regards to the uh, the length and whatnot. And, and we actually, in a perfect world, you should be announcing now 
Well, your season is for next year. Um, you want to you want to kind of get that Christmas rush. People coming in the door um, for your, to your facility, and maybe even start purchasing tickets for the next year's production. Sometimes for us, because we actually, in the end, are the state. Our fiscal year ends June 30, so that kind of puts a curveball um, for me as when we can physically um, make and announce. But I probably will pick by the spring and go into the end of the fiscal year knowing what it is we want to do. So we come, um, we go into the summer announcing and starting that, that process. If you're just tuning in, no, we're speaking with Mark Roshto. He's the producer of White Christmas, the musical, and oversees uh, a lot of the productions at the Fine Arts Building at Massasoit Community College on the Brockton campus. Um, kind of kind of give me some details though who who, who is the assembled team uh, helping to uh, put this put this together and make it happen and, and known at the top you have samantha and nathan those usually those two are sure. tops when it comes to theater they know all the little nuances and and what is important whether it's you know um uh, dance moves uh, whether it's sure. how a set should look please if you will so so uh First of all, Nathan Fogg is our technical director. So he's here in residence um, as a full-time employee. So it begins and ends with my TD in regards to the technical prowess that a show might present and how we're going to tackle it and what is that process. And then beyond that, you have uh, the director and the choreographer. It just so happens Nathan also directs, and he's direct, uh, directed shows around the greater Boston area and um, and has made a name for himself in, in that. And on the South Shore, um, sometimes he and our uh, choreographer slash co-director, Samantha uh, Briar-Jones, will uh, be a dynamic duo with him. Um, and the two of them will team up, and they, they actually are sought after by other theaters in the region to uh, choreograph slash direct slash um, take over some of the technical aspects of their other productions uh, on the South Shore. So uh, it begins there, and then um, we have a phenomenal um, stage manager who's also a student here who has stage managed professionally, and after your director and choreographer, when the show makes its way to the stage in front of the audience, is really the stage manager who is in charge, and her name is Olivia Brown, and she is consummate at her job, and I have I, I always, again, talking about having it close to the vest, sometimes I, I hate putting it out there because <laughs> while we want to see those who work with us and our students aspire to uh, more lucrative uh, job opportunities, is always tough to see them uh, go away. Um, because they 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 develop and they are they are that good. We kind of, in our own in our sense, we kind of uh, we farm our own. And uh, Olivia Brown actually came to us with the ta- with the the talent skill sets that she has and has just improved beyond um, the uh, the expectations. So uh, she's she's holding it down as stage manager. And my man, Mr. Nathan Fogg, who is a technical director, is actually doing triple duty because he's directing, he's co-directing with Samantha. And why Why do you laugh? You know why you laugh? Because you're not surprised. I'm not surprised. Uh, Nathan is a force of nature, and so he is, uh, he's co-directing with Samantha. He's uh, 
scenic designed the show, um, and also he's costume designing the show. If I could throw it in there, I also would not be surprised if for some reason something happened with a a member of the cast. He somehow jumped in and was able to, (laughs) because he's done it in the past. So I don't don't see a problem with that. He would, he's just a, a guy who can, he can do it all when it's needed. He's there, and he's probably one of the best at it. There is there is truth uh, to this, and actually, I think you may uh, have experienced that yep. um, way back in the day. What was that? Two thousand three when we did. Might be Annie. Annie. Might be Annie. Um, and he had to jump in and, and as uh, Daddy Warbuck for a show or two. Yeah, he actually shaved um, his so head. Yeah. He actually shaved his head for that. I actually shaved it for him. I know you did. So yes, Nathan is Nathan is a, is a force of nature, and he has been unleashed on a White Christmas. Um, also, we have Miss uh, Gail Gilman as our props mistress, and she does um, props for other theaters in the area. Uh, she does it for MMAS in Mansfield, and she also does props for the Norwood Theater as well. And of course, we have Pat on sound from Dramatic Sounds, and um, then we have just this small army, basically. And they've been working together probably for about they were some of them were here for Beating the Beast, so on and off a couple of years, and um, they're just making it happen on the stage with all the scene changes. And and one of the one of the um, one of the factors of the show is the scene changes. It's kind of like Gypsy. It just goes all over the place. It's very true. I know that for a fact. It's very true. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just a quick note, uh, folks, and you're probably going, okay, so I'm hearing about this show. I believe that there are a limited a limited number of tickets because this show is selling so well, okay? Uh, starting this Saturday, uh, there's a, a, an 8 p.m. show. Uh, Sunday, there's a matinee at 3 p.m., so that's mm. December 2nd and 3rd if, you, if you're, you're checking your scorecards at home. And then the following week, you have a Friday show, 8 p.m. That's December 8th. And then Saturday is also an 8 p.m. That's the 9th. And then Sunday, it's a 3 p.m. Now, do you have do you have an idea as to which one of these may be sold out and what might, there might be tickets for? So I think the Sundays will sell. I know the Sundays will sell out, and they're pretty close. Um, the if you were to look across those dates, and uh, I want to say the um, the Friday and the Saturday of the second weekend has the uh, largest assortment of uh, decent seats still available. So um, I, I would I would point folks to the, towards those shows. Um, but there are still tickets left for the opening night and for Sunday. But again, those seats are starting to get into our uh, push our obstructed view area, which you can get at a discount, but still, um, they're not the best seats. So general admission uh, patrons, $20. If you're a senior, your student, or your child, or a veteran, $18. Correct. You want to call in to, you want to call to uh, purchase tickets, 508 427 one two three four again five oh eight four two seven one two three four or you just go online massasoit.edu forward slash box office is the best way now we've kind of you know we've overlooked uh, a small part of this and that is the folks who are going to be performing uh in this uh mm-hmm. this particular holiday classic white christmas the musical 
Yeah, so we have a phenomenally talented cast. I'm very uh, ecstatic about what they're getting ready to put on the stage. Um, our uh, leads are um, Mr. Aaron Soliker, who's playing Bob Wallace, and Phil Davis, the Danny K role, is going to be played by um, Mr. John Crampton. Uh, the Haynes sisters are going to be played by Erin uh, Odell and then um, Cynthia Krebs Lee. So they're the kind of magic four that are making it happen from the Leeds department. And we also have um, playing Martha Watson, which is kind of the supporting uh, plucky Carol Burnett-esque funny role. Uh, that's going to be played by Carol Shannon. And between you and me and your listeners, she might actually steal the show. Um, she's kind of a spitfire in her own right off the stage. And uh, I feel like sometimes the character that she's playing is not too far from herself. So uh, we have, and then beyond that, we have an exceptional dance ensemble and um, a, a, a regular uh, straight ensemble that is um, filling in all the gaps and, and just making it happen all across the board. And again, if you're just tuning in, uh, we're privileged to be speaking with Mark Rashto. Uh He, of course, uh, oversees operations at the um, the Fine Arts Building at the, on the Brockton campus of Massey Community College. We're talking about Irving Berlin's White Christmas, the musical that is going to be uh, going up starting uh, this Saturday. And again, if you have not had a chance to purchase tickets, again, limited tickets, uh, call in 508-427-1234 or massasoit.edu forward slash box office now folks who follow theater know that knowing that the show's at the end of the week this is the fun part for the folks who are behind the scenes it's tech week <laughs> it's tech week but you also get a chance to kind of see things come into into focus you start seeing costumes what is that process is does that process get old for you as a producer no, it doesn't actually, and it's funny because um, as you were as you were pitching the question, I realized there was one particular technical uh, person that we did not talk about, which is actually making this process not old. It's just really refreshing. We have a new musical director by the name of Mr. Daniel Monty, who comes from the South Coast, and um, this is our first time working with him. And last night um, we did a. Um, we do the, what we call the sits probe with the orchestra comes in. And I had the privilege of sitting in on a private rehearsal for the orchestra back on Saturday night, and they were incredible. Um, it's very seldom when you bring an orchestra in, of, of, and when you bring a group of musicians in, and you give them a two, three count to start a song, and they're all right there. The instruments are bright. It's like they've been playing together for for years in the actuality is they've only been playing together for 20 minutes um so uh hats off to our new musical director uh, dan monty and usually no no matter what regardless of how long you've worked with folks and it will be the orchestra or the music director when the orchestra comes in everything ramps up a whole new level or two or three uh, because they're bringing that energy of the music and that's kind of part of part of the reason why we do what we do you know why we love musicals so much is you're getting that live orchestra and um which is a craft as musicians unto themselves right um so when you have that ex that live experience it just it just takes it to a whole new level and and that's one of the places where it never gets old um 
I think also on the producing side, the the backstage um, challenges that you have and the solutions that you come up with with the team creatively is something that kind of keeps the um, the fires lit and uh, keeps the creativity going. Um, so I think the technical uh, challenges is always something different, you know, it's, it, and, and it makes it always feel like uh, it's a new day at the job. So. It's definitely worth noting that, again, this is a cozy space. I could be off by a few numbers, but I think it seats about, what, 430, 435, something like that? 420. 420, okay. We we actually, so you're not wrong, because we used to be 435, but then we got the new seating about 10 years ago, and America got a little bigger. Yep. So we lost a few seats, okay. and now we're down to 420. But it's it's still a cozy, intimate space. Mm-hmm. Uh, hearing Mark talk a little bit about when the, you know you get the orchestra and they actually it's a, they sit in it is a pit, and it's right in front. Mm-hmm. It's still the same, right? They sit in the pit, mm-hmm. and, and you hear the the music emanating from the front of the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and and depending on the number, it's it's definitely something. And and knowing that a lot of these while. Maybe a lot of these musicians don't, ha- you know, haven't played together uh, all, you know, for the, maybe it's the first time. There's a lot of these, these are professionals and these are professionals from in and around the South Shore, the Boston yeah, area. Fine. And then they, they know their chops. They know, they know their stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's great to hear that uh, your music director was able to kind of, you know, one seating, uh, able to bring them to life. And it just, it sounded like heaven. Yeah, it's 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 magical, and and uh, and I I look forward to it. And again, it's part of it's part of the gig, and and I'm you know I'm honored and blessed to be able to facilitate this, and uh, for our community of artists, and also for our greater community. Amen. Anything that we haven't touched upon during our 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 our, our segment here, telling folks about White Christmas, the musical, going to be uh, hitting the stage this Saturday. Uh, at the uh, the Buckley Performing Arts Center on the Brockton campus, right off of Route 27. Yeah, I think um, one thing that I'd like to just mention is the fact that sometimes people forget when they hear White Christmas, they don't necessarily associate it to the fact that, of the dancing that goes on in the show. There was so much dancing in the film, and actually the original role of Phil Davis, which was played by Bing Crosby, was offered to Fred Astaire. Ooh. But he... Uh, he had been considering retirement at the time, and he turned it down. Um, so uh, there is that kind of dancing. This is this is written in um, I want to say the late '40s. It was filmed in the mid '50s, so it has that swing kind of feel, like which is band, always big band feel, big band kind of swing feel, yeah. uh, which is always uplifting. You know, when you think of. Uh, when you think of some of those numbers, it's always something that you want to get up and maybe dance to a little bit. And this actually features one of the, uh, I have to give a shout out to our choreographer, Samantha Bride jones uh, you know, the, the tap dancing in this, which you don't see every day, is phenomenal. Yep. Um, not to toot our own horn, but it is a, it is a great dance show as well. Well, sir, I want to thank you so much for sharing uh, details on the show. I hope you have a great tech week, and I hope uh, it's the, the five shows that uh, Massasoit's going to be putting on will be some of the best of the holiday season. Well, thank you so much for having us, and I appreciate you and your, your listeners. And if they are looking to start 
a holiday tradition, they can feel free to come on down. Yeah, easy enough. 508-427-1234 or massasoya.edu forward slash box office. That's your way. Remember, there's a limited number of tickets left. That's all the show we have. That's it. It's gone. Poof. But it's okay. We're going to return next week, God willing, 6.15 p.m. next week. Until then, have a great night.